Hey friends and family, it's Tyler Reams, and this podcast is a space for conversation and to explore critical issues such as racism, privilege, and the political divides that keep us from seeing the humanity in one another. On this show, we'll hear stories and maybe experience some discomfort as new ideas are shared. This is welcomed and encouraged because learning and growing can sometimes hurt, but your story matters. And while I am left and white, I recognize that not everyone else is, and that's okay. My goal is to learn where people come from and find out why they see the world the way they do. There's a joke. What do you call four white guys talking? A podcast. This week, I talked to some of my dear friends, Cody Rogers, Samuel Ayers, and Clint Nauta. We share an origin story of growing up in the same community of central Louisiana, working together at Oak Point Grocery Store, and being men of faith as we attempt to navigate a world where it's increasingly more complicated and hard to understand what we see around us. I'm grateful for the friendship of these men over the years because through both our shared experiences and our differences, we've made each other better. everything that's going on from that perspective as mm-hmm. someone who yeah like grew up super you know in the religious system with the private schooling since you know from kindergarten until um middle school and then you know through high school it was central high for me so that was basically a private school in disguise because mm-hmm. we're in you know Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. central louisiana and then uh you know just growing up around so many conservative folks and like having to constantly be inside of that headspace of like, okay, everyone I'm around all the time has these certain mindsets about um, what it means to have faith and like what that faith is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, the feeling of is my faith and what I feel my faith to be, um, is it wrong? Is it legitimate? Am I crazier? These people is is the friction I feel with all these people around me. Um, is it me being this person that's lesser in this faith, or is it um, them doing it wrong, and I'm the only one that sees things right? Mm-hmm. And you know, over time, that's manifested in a lot of um, me reflecting back on what uh, faith in general has meant for me, and, and where I am, and what I actually believe in. Because more lately, it's been assessing like, okay, well, if if what I think is Christianity or what I always thought was Christianity is all around me in this way. And now reflecting on it, I get so little joy from it. I just get anger and I get, uh, Mm -hmm. I get like that feeling of, um, what if the, if, if everyone is taught this and, and is, is the, what's being taught, like not worth teaching or is it, Mm -hmm. is it something that's not worth reflecting on in that way? So I don't know. Lately with me, the faith has been more distant in terms of, um, it doesn't bring me joy to reflect on it now, so I'm letting it be, and I'm seeing mm-hmm. where I come back to it. Um, kind of like in a, I don't know what I believe, but I'm just kind of like watching things unfold. But absolutely, like that's that that dissonance between what I see everywhere and then what I felt inside, especially when I was stronger in my faith, is super mm-hmm. significant. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where that lands on, on your blurb about my... Uh, my background but that's kind of I mean I certainly agree with you that's where I'm at right now I agree with you in the sense that like I I sometimes or not sometimes as much now but you know in the past five to ten years 
have found myself adopting political viewpoints and seeing the world in such a way that has caused me to question the way that I was raised um, as a young Christian and thankfully has not caused me to reject Christianity, but rather to interrogate what does it mean to live a life like Jesus? And are we seeing that in the world around us right. by people who call themselves Christians? Uh, this is where I see a sort of disenchantment, where, where I, I think what, what Cody just describes a sort of disenchantment. Uh, I've kind of seen along the same lines, um, especially starting with like late high school, um, my family, yeah, I think, you know, Cody, Clint, and I, we all, in a certain way, were, you know, not, not to dog, you know, Victory uh, in any certain way, we were all somewhat connected with Victory Academy uh, in Baton Rouge, and it had a, a, I was the only one among us that went to the church as well, uh, and growing up in that church, till I was about 14, uh, it went through, you know, growing up, I had a great, great religious experience as far as like, you know, feeling comfortable, feeling supported. Everybody wants that. I don't care if mm-hmm. you, you, you know, you know you're, you're Buddhist, you're, you're Muslim, you're, you know, whatever you are, that feeling of that, that, that warmth, that you're safe, that feeling of safety is an incredible feeling that has absolutely been lost since, I would say, a large portion of that church, or a small portion of that church, fractured. That time period, when we left then, and we left a time where not only did I grow up feeling like my church was the only one that had the answer, Mm. Growing up charismatic, you know, I didn't have an idea of outside of my church. Uh, growing up non-denominational, you truly felt like you'd figured out all the problems that all the dom- denominations had mm-hmm. been mired in. Um, getting surreptitiously kicked out of the church we were in due to internal politics, mm-hmm. you realize okay, yeah, we're just, you know, recreating the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of made me realize how man-centered, and I mean that in the, you know, the gender-neutral, you know, like people-centered, the, the human-centered, yeah. you know, the problem is in the people, and we're never going to get away from that, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Uh, or only, uh, you know, the best we can do is try to minimize that human-centered problem. Uh, it, it made me realize, realize to an extent, and I didn't realize it because I was still feel like, okay, our fractured portion, okay, no, we've got it right. So when we fractured away from that church, I was even, probably even more radicalized into, no, we've got it right. Mm. And that lasted in t- probably from my freshman year of high school until maybe my junior, senior. And that also coincided with a lot of the, the, the restrictions that were put on me as a child, you know, as a, a, you know, a teenager mm-hmm. um, by my parents. God bless them, uh, if they ever listen to this. <laughs> um, that, you know, 
they you know they they viewed things a certain way and it really had you know put a a, a divide between mm-hmm. us and it coincided with that coming of age socially as I started to realize you know girls as I started to realize you know mm-hmm. you know things that were outside of the plan that they had for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to realize maybe my, my folks don't have all the answers. Maybe they've got a foundation, and I can I can mm. I can bounce off of that. Um, but you know, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see. But that's not to say through my senior year of high school. I would honestly say till October of my senior year of high school. So that that's honestly, you know, October of two thousand nine. Yeah, I was dead set I, you know things that you know things were working things were going I, I still was letting my parents lead my faith life my social life political life maybe not social life but political like they, they, they cast a shadow on my way of viewing things mm-hmm. um, and I'd say it was it was honestly at the point that we finally left the second, we left the faction of the faction, mm-hmm. that I was like, okay, I'm done. I, I specifically remember, maybe have been leaving Oak Point, the grocery store we worked at. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, we hadn't been to church in several weeks that I, you know, I mentioned, I, I was like, hey, Dad, do we still go to this church? And he was like, no, not really. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And at that point, it was unsaid that it, to myself personally, I was like, okay, I'm done with y'all leading where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Religiously, at least, I was like, okay, y'all don't have the answer. Mm-hmm. Y'all have laid a foundation, which I'm appreciative of, yeah. but I don't think that, you know, y'all's journey is your own journey. Mm-hmm. So I went from there and... Uh, this is volume one, by the way. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> We'll be back next week. <laughs> you and I, Tyler, started uh, university in uh, 2010. Yeah. Yeah, fall of 2010. By that point, I was, you know, just kind of passively going, you know, with my parents to another church that they decided, which was actually denominational, it was a Baptist church, mm-hmm. which up until then, you know, Baptists were the most, you know, you know, second to Catholics as far as you know oh really legalism wow as far as you know so it was it was it was unsettling to even go to a Baptist church because uh-huh. that was whew, man you know we've become <laughs> the bastion of liberality sure these people don't you know they don't even cut the crust off the bread you know that, that sort of thing yeah, <laughs> there's just you know so and then when they became members of the church but all that time you know I was going through a tremendous spoiler alert I'm, I'm a Roman Catholic and university made me a Roman Catholic mm-hmm. I, I became a Roman Catholic in a large part due to my studies in political science St. Thomas Aquinas God bless you you made me a Catholic political theories and you know life theories that you laid out made me realize you cannot you can be a Christian and also not be you know, a blathering idiot on talk radio sure. or you know some sort of like conspiracy theorist which is what a lot of my homeschool upbringing which I was before I was in high school mm-hmm. uh, made me believe I was like you can think you know God doesn't require you to divorce yourself from the brain he gave you and you know 
going to university made me more religious in a way. You, are you referring to this ability to to hold um, religion and faith as well as worldly things and ideas like science at the same time and interrogate those things together? Yeah. 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 Okay. F- faith in 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 tension with reason. It, it it's mm-hmm. a healthy tension. It, it it's a tension that is. It's, it's normal and mm-hmm. it's expected and it's encouraged mm-hmm. because if, if you're completely blind in your faith you're being you know, absolutely ridiculous if sure. you're completely blind in your you know in, in your reason you're not using any sense of you know wisdom mm-hmm. uh, to, to you know, acknowledge what you don't know what you can't possibly know in, in, in a way mm-hmm. uh, so you know in, in that way you know the, the university experience really opened me up to what could be mm-hmm. So many of the people that I had grown up with and seen that kind of we talked about earlier that were these uh, people who were close to me or whatever that were religious or claimed religious uh, belief or, or Christianity, I, I saw eventually as being people who believed things that I thought were r- repugnant, right? And mm-hmm. or, or end up being judgmental people on other aspects of life or, you know, fr- where friendship didn't work out beyond mm-hmm. that. And I found personally that so many of the people that I'm friends with now that are non-religious, I've gotten a lot of my strongest friendships with people who are very understanding of the aspects of me that are um, susceptible to mental health issues and all these kinds of things that I find very little support from in the Christian community in general. A lot of people that I know I grew up with in, in the private school environment and otherwise are just very dismissive of anything about mental health. So I, like, I find that I found that even outside of the scope of being necessitated of, of like a faith background. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes to show in general how, number one, like that sort of attitude of the faith can be a big detriment in keeping people within the faith for long term, but also how um, I don't think faith is necessary to connect with people within or between the faith and keep a really strong connection and to love people. Mm-hmm. And I see that not only with... Um, I see that in, in the movements going on right now, like because there's nothing religious about the Black Lives Matter movement in general. But I see a lot of people united. Uh, you, you see white people and black people and everyone who understands the problem really coming together with a sense of uh, helping the community and brotherhood, mm-hmm. and and uniting to help a group of people that we all can agree are disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. It's it's a shame. I mean, I, I agree with you that you don't have to be faith uh, united to a faith to be a good person. Um, in, in, a, in a general sense, um, but uniting to a faith shouldn't make you a terrible person. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah, and, and so, yeah. and so we should, if anything, people of faith should be more charitable, more empathetic than the average person. Right, because there's not, a doctrine behind it. There's yeah, a reasoning and a yeah, lifestyle you're so, supposed to be supporting with it. And so, it, it's really a, an indictment of yeah. of Christianity in the context that we have experienced. Sure. Uh, when we can po- can't really, uh, when we can point to people who aren't of any faith and say they're more generous, sure. more empathetic, more compassionate than mm-hmm. the people we know who who claim faith. Which I think we can acknowledge the spiritual foundation left with us by our families for the most part, as well as our our parents being on their own journey to understand what does what does Christianity or faith. Or the world or politics mean to them yeah. and it's 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 totally natural for kids to have that moment of recognition that oh my, my god my parents were wrong about yeah. this particular mm-hmm. thing but maybe they were right about this thing i think that's 
um, the power of all of our ability to be reflective on where did our parents pass and fail the test of True. raising us. True. Within the college college experience, though, I experienced my parents moving multiple times, mm-hmm. and I I just completely like written their hop, skip, and a jump approach to like uh, anything concrete. Mm. That you know, we, we we like to characterize the postmodern era as very you know laissez-faire sure. you know, to an extreme, to a to a to, to a harmful extent, I believe. And you know, I, I feel like in post postmodern era, we're coming to a sense that that's untenable. Mm. And I, I think my parents' generation is you know especially as they age, they're the postmoderns. We're the post postmoderns. <laughs> they're they're is, is is super comfortable with the you know. Not knowing less foundation, sort of central. I, I feel like we're coming to a central with no. I need a foundation. Yeah. I can't live with not knowing, or at least not being convinced of what I think I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and through college, they had multiple hop, skip, and a jumps, and they were highly politicized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was that point that I realized how much a lot of the things that I'd grown up with that were politicized, and how much things I grew up that were religious, and how they were conjoined. Mm-hmm. And which is pretty standard for American Christianity, which I think we'll probably dig into just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. That, that's another chapter, part two. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, not not to not to you know hog all the time, but this has been something that's you know truly been on my heart. Uh, you know, yeah, that I've tried to speak through the ABVs. That uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, this, this is where I am now. That I, that right. I you right. post you know you know at, at all, twenty eight almost twenty nine. This is where I am. Yep. It's been uh, something that's truly been, you know, he had to fight through and think through and live through mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. look through the example of others. And, and that's okay. I think that journey is, is, is good. Um, sometimes we're made to feel that journey is, that journey of questioning is maybe not a good thing. I think it's, I think it's an incredible thing that we're able to look at what did our parents give us that we can hold on to, but also how are we different? Being, it's really hard to live in the South and not have a religious uh, influence, mm-hmm. uh, whether that be your parents or your uh, uh, grandparents, whatever it may be. So, I mean, I, I grew up in, a, in in the church probably until I was about eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. And through various, uh, almost in common with what Samuel was saying, through various churches, leaving those churches for whatever reasons, uh, my parents just stopped going. And mm-hmm. so through those foundational years of my life, I would have considered myself a uh, Christian, or at least having had some religious experience, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but just not attached to the, the church, uh, mm-hmm. any formal membership of the church. And for a long time, that served me well because what we what we lacked in in uh, in explicit Christianity, we more than made up for in in, in conservatism. Mm-hmm. And so um, I almost replaced one with the other, right? Mm-hmm. So I, was, I wasn't explicitly Christian or attending church, but we were a good, um, God-fearing, uh, Republic, Republican-voting family. Uh, and that was all the way until, until my, in, my, in my 20s. And um, it wasn't really until my parents divorced when I was 24 that I really started to, to take note like that I was going to have to make some decisions about what I believed and mm-hmm. what I... Um, what what my set of foundational um, morals and things like that was going to be for myself because the people that I had put so much trust in my entire life were no longer um, 
uh, they couldn't even they couldn't agree anymore. Mm-hmm. So I could you know I did at the lack at, at so so I didn't have to pick sides between my mom and my dad. I said you know what it's time for me to make my own my own decisions. And so for much of my life, um, my my Republican conservative upbringing and my Christian Christian beliefs and values didn't contradict one another. Um, and and obviously that seems like a ridiculous statement to make in light of what we all have seen in the social media age, um, even in what's happening on on the news. Um, and so so now I realize that a lot of what I see and a lot of what I uh, experience, um, especially from more conservative people, doesn't line up with what I believe and and experience through my own study and reading of the Bible. Could you give and, some examples of that? Uh, for me, the biggest one is empathy. Like mm-hmm. there's, it, it seems to be a lost art nowadays. This this ability to to see someone's problem or see someone's status in life, mm-hmm. and being able, even if you can't physically or even mentally, emotionally put yourself in that that position mm-hmm. to understand, starting from the mindset of at least let me listen to what this person has to say. Mm-hmm. And so I've I find myself. Um, Disenfranchised to to say what uh, to borrow what Samuel said from the more conservative-minded people, who even those people who call themselves Christians, and I'm not here to cast aspersions on their on their the validity of their faith, sure. But I just don't I don't I I, I don't see the Christianity and, and then their mindset mm-hmm. um, being conjoined as from what I'm reading in my ultimate authority, which is the Bible, mm-hmm. um, and so. Less and less, I've been less okay uh, calling myself a conservative recently. Really, and another and another thing in my life that really caused me to think through that: my parents' divorce being the first, the second being fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the only one here who has children, and I have two young children under four, mm-hmm. and so um, I've had to be more concerned with what I believe and what my positions on things are, because ultimately I'm passing those things down. Mm-hmm. To my children, at least. That, I mean, obviously, I want them to become free thinkers. Yeah, are, you, are we ready yeah. for the rejection of what? You yeah, believe exactly, that they might exactly. Yeah. But at least want to expose them to what I believe. Yeah, and then have them weigh those things. Yeah, and find and, and maybe, they, they, maybe the they find it. Maybe they find it wanting. Maybe they yeah. they take it even further than I did mm-hmm. in a good way. And so, um, when you consider that, what the knowledge you have, the faith you have, the the opinions and beliefs you have. The, the reality that you, in some, whether you want to or not, are passing those things down to other people who have their own minds and their own wills, um, that's a, that is a burdensome thing. Yeah. And so it causes you to think through them a little bit more intently and a little bit more um, intentionally, as I said. And so I want my children, I want them to learn empathy from me mm. and not from having had a lack of it in their upbringing. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And so um, I want them to, to see someone of a different skin color or, or a different socioeconomic status and be able to put themselves in the position of those people first and understand and listen first before they speak. Uh, and not just listen in order to speak, but to listen and maybe not say anything. Um, and, and be able to say my, my, my dad and my mom taught me that. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, and I believe that empathy, while it is certainly a human virtue, mm-hmm. uh, I see it all throughout, especially the New Testament in the words of Jesus. Um, I think he taught that and, and, and he could talk to people he didn't even agree with. And yet, um, 
and yet empathize with them. And, uh, and we see it in the teachings after, uh, of Paul and the, and the other people who wrote the New Testament. We see that, that charity and, and empathy preached. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's not the only thing taught, but it's, it's very important. And it's certainly if you don't have it, you're going to start off on the wrong foot with anybody you come in contact with, right? If, you're, if you cannot have a conversation with someone at base level and, and, it, and at least understand yeah. where they're at, yeah. you're not going to have a conversation at all. And so uh, it's just something I've been thinking more and more about, about how my conservative upbringing and even in my own largely conservative views, mm-hmm. how, that, uh, how that meshes with my Christianity. To your point about race and the meshing of these things, which I feel like race is a, a big topic right mm-hmm. now, but it also has been throughout, throughout American history and throughout the church's stance on those things. We've often seen the church on the wrong side of this. Um, What do we make of these ideas from the life of Jesus and from the Bible along with the conversation around racial justice and racial reconciliation in America? People read these things or they're taught it in school, especially like growing up and young, going to a a private school where they focused on Bible teaching. You're given all these stories and most of the time it's in the context of um, taking what the story is trying to tell you and that's the big part of it and then pushing that and having it teach a lesson mm-hmm. and then that's done through the through the perspective of like a bible story so you know when you're getting into um the new testament it's a lot of stories about you know okay jesus took the loaves and the fishes he fed you know thousands of people and it's well, he jump- made them work for it first right yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and that, eight, yeah like five an hour no. you know you're, you're getting all Seven. these sure Exactly. And like, (laughs) you know, it it wasn't like Jesus was there like, okay, like show me that you have, uh, you've tried to get your own food and you've tried to go through all these steps that we require you in order to get these handouts. But, you know, you're seeing a lot of this giving, you're Mm -hmm. seeing a lot of this through the scope of, oh, this is a miraculous event. This Mm -hmm. was not uh, just someone giving these government handouts, right? This was like this, 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 this God, this deity came down and he said, okay, I see that there are all these people here and have come to listen to me and they're hungry and they need right. to be fed. So I'm just going to make that happen because it's the right thing to do sort of, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you're shown that lesson and you're, you're given that story and, and told to reflect on it for what it is, which is like, okay, Jesus loves uh, us and these people and he's going to do this act to provide. But you you miss the greater context of like, okay, there's no politicizing this. There's no taking it and trying to like spin it for, okay, Jesus did it for these particular people. Like, oh, he's doing it for, um, you know, people that would be considered either Israelites or Jews or people who are going to be um, who God would want to be fed or whatever. It was just the people who were around and who needed yeah. it. And I feel like that gets missed a lot with how it's taught these days where it's like you're given all these stories but you're not given a sort of ability to understand the very human part of all of these things that are being like taught to you and how to apply it to your life even outside of the scope of of Christianity and saying like okay Jesus did this so we're going to worship Jesus but like how can I take what this is teaching me and apply that to the people that I know you know, whether or not I'm going to even consider me doing it for some religious reason, like, oh, because I'm a Christian, I can do all this sort of Mm -hmm. uh, giving. So I feel like, especially with how politicized everything is, where it's like, you know, typically it's 
these private schools are going to have these conservative folks who have these certain belief systems, and that's going to be taught by the parents and the and the people in authority and given to the children, who then come up and get older with it and perpetuate these views. Um, there's just not a lot of nuance beyond it, and there's not a lot of questioning of. Um, I'll give you an example, I guess, as something that kind of going more into my background. I was raised by my family that was. Um, we, we were Catholic in the sense that it was, you know, like, we go on Easter, we go Christmas to Mass, you know, the one time. We never went regularly or weekly. So, similar, like, I didn't really get a hugely religious upbringing from my parents or my family. Like, there was the notion of God and, like, God, you know. Just a culture. In the ether, right? Kind of. Sure. Yeah, and, and since they were raised Catholic, we took that and went to Catholic Church and everything. And, you know, I... I went to the private school nearby. I, I don't know if there was any denominational reasoning for it, or it was just like, okay, this was down the street, so we're going to take our kid here to go mm -hmm. to private school. Uh, but, you know, for a while I went to catechism to supplement it until I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but so I, I got the lens of I grew up Catholic, but I went to a school that was, you know, quote unquote non denominational, quote unquote Baptist, whatever you want to call it, sure. Victory, and then Riverdale Christian Academy, and then Victory Academy, where I ended up going before Central. But through that, you know, I got this completely contradictory set of information from my home life and my school life, which was all I hear at school is negative things about Catholics, whether it's Catholics are not actually Christians. Catholics are, mm -hmm. they're this embattled force against Baptists where it's like, they're almost like, you know, Hatfield McCoy style. It's mm -hmm. like they're enemies or something. And I'm sure. like, and I would always think of myself as someone who, I don't know how open I was about it as a child or if I put it out there or whatever but it's like what's the argument here you know it's like it, you come from the same core set of beliefs and then there there are eventually these branchings and then suddenly everyone is going against each other at the throats over a problem that's yeah. not it's made up and it's not real it's a fight to have to feel right about something i felt like my so, uncle calls it the fluff uncle greg Oh, the fluff of Christianity of like we fight the most about the things that aren't the core of right. what salvation is yes, uh, or what the life of Jesus is like the life of Jesus I feel like is like not arguable Sure, it says exactly what it means but then we look at these other things in the Bible we look at Leviticus we look at other parts of the Old Testament and we say well we you know we we're supposed to treat women this way or we're supposed mm. to not welcome gay people into our communities sure. and things like that. And and that's the stuff we argue about when I feel like those things aren't the deal breakers of salvation. Sure. And we and we argue about those things to the point of forgetting all of the empathy that we do get later on that we were told to show to everybody, mm -hmm. you know, despite all these differences or despite these things that some people may perceive as sinful or perceive as like ways not to live a life under God or whatever. Mm -hmm. And and it's it's super frustrating because a lot of that for me, it was very confusing and was very, um, it, it, it's hard to find a foundation in believing in anything if yeah. in both parts of your childhood life you're getting different messaging depending on what, what hour of the day it is, right? Uh, especially because my parents were not super strong about the messaging to counteract what I got at school. Mm. So, I, yeah. so as I got older, you know, I was very relatively anti-Catholic uh, going into you know high school and stuff and then over time I eventually looked back and I found a lot more fault with what I got from the Baptists and non-denominational settings, then I and I, I warmed up more to the Catholicism and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Despite you know currently not having a super strong church or denomination or uh, affiliation at all, but to me that's like a big essence of it. It's just like we're going to find something to fight about, even if we are mm -hmm. ninety percent on the same page, mm -hmm. and we're going to find these two percent of things where it's like okay, like 
Catholicism, very tradition-based, very like outside of what is literally written in the Bible. That's where a lot of yeah. the, the service comes from. And then, you know, on the Baptist side, it's like, okay, if it's, it's sola scriptura, it's all in the Bible. It's all got to be here, yeah. and it's canon. And if it's outside of that, it's fake, and we made it up. But then you come to the concept of like who decided what's actually in the Bible, right? What about the Gnostic Gospels? What set of people in the church uh, had a cer- certain set of discussions and decided what is and isn't supposed to be canonical? And then sure. when I started to think more and more about that, it came to, to me feeling like, okay, at the end of the day, some, some group of people is making some group of decisions. And mm-hmm. you can say it's all divinely inspired or not, but you could say it feels like a, a way to kind of rationalize. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I it's something I've struggled with in my past several years is is this idea of growing up very Baptist, which was very biblically based, and then you know, not to say that the Methodists aren't biblically based, but I'm sure we can make jokes about that if we wanted to. <laughs> sure, uh, sure. But I, I always felt that like the Baptists were like, what is in the gospel? Um, and then as also a history teacher I have to interrogate the Bible as a historical document. Right. And as you mentioned, like what along the way in the last two to six thousand years of biblical history, who had their hands on this document? Who was able to shape it into what it is, and for what aims were they able to shape it? And I don't think this is this is not me saying don't trust the Bible. It's me saying how can we interrogate it critically for what it means for our faith and how we should behave today, and to what extent do we look at it into our in our modern context? The same as you have those who are constitutional originalists versus mm-hmm. seeing the Constitution as a living document. To what degree is that also true for the Bible? Don't, don't get me started on that constitutional nonsense. Yeah, about, we can't. We can't. We gotta keep that, that document the same. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, I think where I have uh, grown, I, I use that word um, a lot, mm-hmm. is there's a time, and you guys, you know, God bless you, have known me for long enough to remember when I didn't care about any of this to when yeah. I probably cared a lot about it. and Too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but along the way, to your credit, you know, we've, we've, remained, we've remained friends and, mm-hmm. and, and enjoyed the lively discussion and even disagreements mm-hmm. about and walked away uh, brothers. And so where I'm at now in, in my uh, spiritual journey is kind of what Cody alluded to there is I don't, we can disagree on, we can now I'm at the point that we can disagree on 90%. And if the 10% we agree on is the content of the gospel, we can do 90% of the work together. Um, mm. and that's the quote right there yeah and so yeah. so yeah so <laughs> podcast title yeah <laughs> and so um, and so that's kind of where I'm at it is mm-hmm. there's so much to be done mm-hmm. in our society to change to change things uh, and as a father I desire to get some of that work done myself through my relationships with people because I don't want my sons to inherit a worse off society than than I did Mm -hmm. and um, or for even worse for me to have made it worse for them Um, and so I'm much more of the mindset now where um, I don't want to get bogged down in the particulars Mm -hmm. so if you're in a different if you're in a different place with your view on the inherency and inspiration of scripture you know let's okay we can discuss that sure but do we all agree that Jesus Christ died for sinners yeah and we all agree that we are yeah. sinners. And so, okay, if we can start right there, mm-hmm. then we can join hands and and read what he said and what he's done mm-hmm. 
and interpret that largely the same and do something mm-hmm. uh, with it. Um, and, and that's why, in my experience, conservatism can't get past that. They can't get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, conservative Christianity, I should say. I mean, they're probably conservative non-Christians who probably could. But um, in my experience, people who, come, who, hold the, who claim the mantle conservative Christian, mm-hmm. um, they require a greater breadth of agreement with them before they get in, want to do anything with you. Mm-hmm. And that's frustrating mm-hmm. because um, when you can't call um, a, a nine-minute video of someone being murdered uh, that because mm-hmm. you don't have um, – you don't know the, the, the criminal or, or religious background of the person on the ground or the one with the knee in the back, I have a problem with that. Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. we, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We, can't, mm-hmm. we can't even call murder what it is anymore because you know, we have to come to these somewhat un, un, unwritten agreements. Mm-hmm. And we have to make sure that you, we agree with everything before we can agree on that. And I'm like, no, let's just let's agree with this right. and then work out all the details we, later. We've hyper-politicized Christianity yeah. and everything else, but yeah. I think it's yeah. it's particularly dangerous that we've hyper-politicized Christianity to the extent, as you say, that yeah. I can be a person who is left-leaning politically mm-hmm. and you can be a person who is right-leaning politically. And you and I have a, what, 12, 13-year history of friendship yeah. that allows us to hold on to that that. Christian bond and that friendship bond, but there there are people out there who have who have rejected me automatically yeah. because um, because I reject the current president or because yeah. I um, believe the minimum wage should be higher. You know whatever we yeah. call whatever like conservative Christians call communism. Um, <laughs> they, you know what we see a lot these days, and, and and I agree with you like that. It it bothers me because I'd be happy to sit down with anybody and have a conversation, yeah. um, but I often feel like the reverse is not true, unfortunately. Yeah. And you, you grow up thinking that your faith bonds are those that will transcend. supposed to transcend. Transcend. Yeah. And, and know, it, I, I found that it doesn't. You know, as Christians, you know, Dr. William Lane Craig and, you know, Bishop Barron, you met at Claremont College and met on the the the... the presupposition that there would be no argument mm-hmm. as far as it is as being a Christian you know a Catholic bishop and a you know a pseudo you know a non-denominational slash Baptist you know major you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. scholar Scholar, yeah. you know is you know we're not here to debate Christianity we're here to debate you know things outside of, like what faces Christianity mm-hmm. here among us we don't all agree on the same you know thing so far as Christianity is concerned mm-hmm. much less politics mm-hmm. you know but we agree on you know Christ came down and is responsible for who we are and what we are mm-hmm. and what we can be in him mm-hmm. uh, and that's the thing that most disappoints me mm-hmm. in the people that brought me up mm-hmm. that I can't relate to anymore. I totally agree with you. There's that, you know, trust was mentioned earlier, Clint. I believe you mentioned trust. Um, and I find that I, I have trouble trusting those who raised me with the ideals of Jesus and how to live a mm-hmm. life like Jesus. And then there are a lot of things that I see that cause me to question the motivations of that um and i'm not perfect 
I have many areas that I can grow, and I'm open to that criticism. Um, okay, but well. <laughs> let's get started. <laughs> but but <laughs> my my identity crisis as a you know nearly thirty year old man is is what did it mean that I was taught these things that I often don't see lived by the people mm-hmm. that taught them to me. It's incredibly disillusioning to have people that you saw as authority figures for really formative and really vulnerable parts of your life that you look up to, whether it's teachers or parents or uh, if you're going to church with people that meant a lot to you and, and that mm-hmm. sort of way. It's really, really disheartening to see those people that you looked up to on Facebook making comments that you, that, you know, like, that are, that, that you read and think are either abhorrent mm-hmm. or you, you cannot see how someone that you looked up to for one reason can come to some other conclusion right. when you and, live and in we the can same reality. You can name yeah. those things. I mean, re- rejecting the migrant, yeah, sure. um, questioning the criminal past of a person who was right. murdered by police. It, uh, it's a lot of just what about, yeah, it's a lot yeah. of what about us. And it's a lot of like, okay, like let's take the George Floyd situation, sure. for example. It's like, okay, well, we've got this man being murdered. Mm-hmm. On, on, and, and the question is always, okay, well, he should he should have been compliant. Or yeah, maybe he should, he should have, have listened. not broken yeah. the law. Or it, it's the same thing with... Um, Who's the dude that, uh, what is his name, that shot uh, the young man several years ago? Z- was Zimmerman. Zimmerman, yes. Yeah. He, hunt, he hunted that yeah, guy. Yeah, you know. He hunted him. With the Zimmerman situation, yeah. it, it was all, it's like, oh, well, he broke, the, this kid broke the law doing this or this and that. And it's like, it's, where's, I don't, where's our grace? And this is not to say that Christians are the only ones saying sure, these sure, things. Right. But I'm looking at the Christians who raised me saying these things yes. and saying, does not our faith call us to more than this very limited and conditional grace? Yes, and it's also irrelevant because even mm-hmm. if they are criminals, even if they had done... Ex- let's say that these people that... That's, was, let's say George Floyd had literally killed people before he was uh, killed on camera. That, does that not mean he's not entitled to a trial? Does that not mean he's right, not entitled extra, to extra What's not, like, what's what's not Mary Magdalene? You know, yeah. let's let's talk about Dylan Roof. You know, let's talk. Let's talk about all the white supremacists who have gunned down people, and whether it's uh, Dylan Roof killing uh, people in a black church. Let's talk about uh, any of these scenarios where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. someone has been, uh, or like the uh, the Aurora, Aurora shooter yeah. as well. They, they're Alabama, they're calmly yeah. and easily arrested by the police, and uh, and everything went fine. And it's like okay, like, but we're gonna kill Tamir Rice for having a, a toy gun, right. and uh, we're just gonna pull up on him and shoot, and then that's or, it. You know, Breonna Taylor. Yeah, for being, being asleep, asleep in yeah. her in her home. Like right, right. Can, and all we have to do at this point, when when looking at these things, is just look at what they are. I feel like and call it for what it is. Like mm-hmm. something is different in in, mm-hmm. in the cases of one set of people and the other set of people. Yeah, a different standard. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't think. It, it there's anything political about noticing that, and that's what's so crazy to me. It, it, yeah, we it, it, we seem to take political sides that is that are sometimes rooted in our faith. Yes, unfortunately, right. the, the, this all goes like to the point that yeah, I think we've all been trying to make that American Christianity has uh, divorced itself from the Christianity part. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's traded in the what you know First Corinthians thirteen one says if I speak in the tongues of humans and of angels but you don't have a love I've become a sounding bronze or a clanging cymbal mm-hmm. it's called the love chapter and it says in verse thirteen and now the greatest of these three remain faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love American Christianity has lost its love mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, and and to that point that Clint brought up in the beginning of the podcast was empathy. That's part of love. 
Mm. Like loving your other as other, mm. you know, regardless of what they effing look like. <laughs> you know, I know this yeah. PG podcast, <laughs> but man, like we because and this goes a lot beyond what our parents and even our grandparents, you know, have thought and politicized over. Politics has become the religion of America, mm. and it's it's an extraordinarily limited and present-minded ideology. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, our grandparents were worried about what Reagan was doing with Star Wars and, you know, you know, and <laughs> fighting back the evils of, you know, Carter, you know, and his evil peanuts. And, you know... That one-term peanut farmer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it, it, each, each moment has its moment. And sure, we're worried about Trump right now. Mm-hmm. What are we worried about that transcends that? You know, and how are we connecting to the people that we grew up with and that raised us? Christianity has lost itself to a generation because it's been extricably tied to a our Lord and Savior Trumpus. You know, you know, he he has you know he is taking the arrows of you know, the, 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 the libs, you know, for now, it, it's just, it, it feels, I feel like I'm, I can't speak to my compatriots, you know, my colleagues now about Christ because it's, there's so much baggage. Yeah. There's so much present. Baggage. It makes the great commission harder. It makes it, it which is why relationships are important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I, I don't know how. It's and almost I like I need to show you that the Christ I follow isn't the Christ of is the, in the American no, Christ is in, no, is in no way responsible mm-hmm. nor promoting America. Right. Yeah, you know, I have to divorce Christ from America. Yeah. And I need you to see that. Which is why this this man and the people who wrote this book didn't look anything like me. Mm-hmm. Didn't think anything like me. Mm-hmm. You know, our faith is what's supposed to transcend the political. Mm-hmm. The faith in Christ is supposed to transcend the now. It's befuddling, mm-hmm. even as, as as political as I know my you know parents or your mother especially has been. It it's it even even she if laid the the facts bare. There's a sort of like ignorance or blind eye turn mm-hmm. to. You know the reality of the situation yeah. that, that that transcends just like there's a, a part of the the American civil religion that you've brought up and that you know they're all relatively aware aware of. It's you know American Christianity is not a religion; it's a politic. It's a mm-hmm. way. It, it's in in a sense, it's an identity culture. It it's it's something that makes a certain subset of the population feel safe. Mm. And it's part of the mythos of America. It's, you know, just something that's ill-defined, but makes a certain, you know, voting subset comfortable. Right. But it is in no way religious. And that's what, you know, through grad school, I felt extraordinarily embarrassed to admit that I was, you know, a man of faith and Christian. Mm-hmm. And we feel know, like we have to explain and, the and, ills and, of to justify it. To justify it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, God help me. You know, <laughs> I, I, I was like, I'm sorry 
for, you know, for all the people who said they were this, right. they're not. Mm-hmm. They're they they're they're this party. Yeah. They're this you know ill-defined sort of you know voting block. And we can trace that historically in a lot of ways too, like the Southern strategy uh, of the Nixon years, Nixon mm-hmm. and Reagan the, years, the Dixiecrats, and and just a number of things historically that we can look into that that I would argue have weaponized Christianity to to do the ills that, that we see in the society, or rather rather to, to make the ills seem okay right. uh, or justified. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, And that, that's a lot of history there that we don't have time to go into, but I'd encourage people to look into just the Southern strategy well, in general. What time do you have to leave? <laughs> <laughs> another day. Another day. Uh, <laughs> it's just interesting to me how, how I feel like American Christianity is, is so far removed from the life of Jesus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of where I think all three of, all four of us um, are arrived at is at a certain point that our, our political upbringing clashed with our religious upbringing, mm-hmm. or the upbringings themselves didn't clash, but our religious uh, discovery and journey clashed with what we were uh, brought up to believe and yeah. to think. And, you know, Thankfully, it seems most the the four of us have been able to say, "Well, I'm going to continue to carry the mantle of Christian." Yes. But if but I'm going to lay down that mantle of Republican or conservative or whatever else I need, American or yeah, Mm -hmm. whatever else I need to lay down, Mm -hmm. um, because those things don't align with with uh, my faith. And I think sadly, what we've seen is every we all know someone who maybe either hasn't gotten to that crossroads yet, Mm -hmm. or at that crossroads. Uh, laid down the Christian mantle yeah. and took up the political one and said, "I'm going to know faith uh, in my party mm-hmm. and my political the- th- my political theory is uh, is more important, and I'm going to bastardize Christianity into mm-hmm. something that I fits yeah. that mold." It's uh, if yeah, it's like if people want to have their faith and find it and find their like find within themselves, critically think about what they've been taught. And come to some conclusion whether it's uh, continuing with Christianity or finding another religion or becoming right. a religious. That to me is a hundred times more commendable than the people representing. Yeah, yeah, either want to make yeah, just take a label that they don't mm-hmm. have apply to them, or or even what's worse to me is just people who will parrot or absorb all of this um, rhetoric mm-hmm. and not have an actual understanding of not only the damage that that rhetoric can cause but what the people who have espoused that are even where they're even come from like just taking talking points and spitting them and, and taking it without understanding so like I would say that that's most of who we mm-hmm. theoretically oppose yeah and you know, God, it, God bless the Federalists and their elitism <laughs> that's probably who we're in opposition to most of the people who just parrot a general talking point yeah like, as an example, going to high school, we were in, uh, or I was in high school, um, uh, Clint's a little older than us, Tyler and Samuel are the same age, I think I'm a year uh, behind them in mm-hmm. school, so I was in high school, and I guess you two were as well, whenever Obama got elected, yeah. and around that time, I just remember um, the <laughs> the stuff you would hear from the, the, the conservative folks, uh, just like, whether it's Obama's the Antichrist, Antichrist uh-huh. yeah. like that, and that was like not so birth birth. Birthers, yeah, just know. the birthers, and yeah. it's it, the birther stuff is one thing as a conspiracy because that's super, that's super politically driven. But just like the people who legitimately think that this politician is uh, this 
like antichrist demonic figure mm-hmm. like because he's either number one a democrat or number two because he's a black democrat yeah. it, it, it was just I remember or thinking, has a Muslim name yeah and, right. and I remember thinking Barack like, capital Hussein Hussein yeah, yeah like we yeah. which is again which is not only uh, <laughs> which is xenophobic in a way and racist right, against right. Muslim people but it's like I remember thinking to myself, am I crazy? Because they would do the little mock election thing at Central, and I think they passed down a little sheet of paper with, like, who would you vote for? And everyone did it. And I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, I would, I would probably vote for Obama in this situation, not even having a political identity that right. I could really point to. But, like, so many people in a non-joking, non-taking-the-piss sort of way are going to be like, oh, man, I think this dude's really it. I think and it's just it, it, it was like <laughs> it was it was confusing because I remember thinking I'm too old for this and I was probably 17 years old mm-hmm. so and I had no actual understanding of anything beyond the surface level so just and and that's not something they ever thought of that's mm-hmm. not something they sat down and looked at this candidate for what he believed in and then looked at a Bible and tried to draw all these dots mm-hmm. together this was something that they heard from somebody right. it was either their parents it, it was Pastor, their teachers yeah. their pastors mm-hmm. Their, mm-hmm. their people at church and they took it and they said this person I trust this person I love this person I am close mm-hmm. to because either I'm supposed to or I always have felt these things so I'm going to take that in and that's the kind of thing that's so dangerous about this this sort of perpetuation of these really dangerous unsubstantiated things is that we're, we're perpetuating this throughout the generations because when you teach someone something from when they're a little child, mm. it's very, like, and we can, and I, I try to have this empathy about people that I think are, have terrible, racist, abhorrent, mm. homophobic, transphobic, all these kinds of views that are in their right. 50s, 60s, these older generations. Like, I try to think with the, with the understanding that they were taught these things or implicitly were in this framework since they were probably old enough to have memories. Mm-hmm. So I can understand how it's hard to erase decades of, of being told something. It's uncomfortable. Yes, For us it is. to interrogate, like, what well, this, this challenges who I thought I was. Yes. Right. And, yeah. and as a result, we have to, if we're trying to convince people to believe other things, it's, it's important to be non-combative. Or it's, but it's, it's exceptionally difficult to do because sometimes people don't want to argue in good faith. People don't mm-hmm. want to have a real conversation to learn. They either want to crush a dissenting opinion or they want to just try to win an argument for the points of it to own the libs if you will to, to yeah. own the snowflakes and the libs exactly sure. so it and and especially true on facebook or the internet anywhere right. social media twitter it's there's no real uh, good discussion in these in these sorts of forums where everyone has a loud voice it's just it becomes screaming into the void no matter where you are on twitter it's just a lot of uh, twitter and facebook especially it's just a lot of uh, mm-hmm. a lot of uh mm-hmm. Anger and a lot of screaming into the screaming into the void. Yes, yeah. Yeah. That's why I don't have. And a complete disregard for any kind of nuanced position. Yeah, it's one way or the other. Not for nuance. Yeah, and I mean, humanity is not for nuance. Like I I, I hate, I I, I caution to say that that's for the academic, you know, situation. But you know, because even there, there, there's this false. But it's like you, you wonder what is that situation in which, you know. Every person from every walk of life can sit and be in and, and ponder a situation, mm-hmm. and, and 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 take in and internalize the details of each position. Right. Where is that? Where does that exist? It's and I think we would all agree that if of all places it should exist in the church, like it should exist in Christianity. Yep. This idea that we can sit down because I mean if we're if we're Christians and we and we. Um, um, 
believe what we love believe. Love our neighbor as yeah, ourselves. We believe <laughs> that there are two great commandments, right? Love the Lord your God above all things and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, that starts with foundationally knowing who your neighbor is and knowing enough about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and loving and, them as other. Yeah. And, or loving them as you love. Yeah. Like you would never um, wish yourself harm. So why would you wish anyone else harm? Mm-hmm. Um, this ability to discuss hard things without having to come down hard on one side or the other. Because you prescribed yeah. something else beforehand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I tell you what we need in, in our society in general, and you know, this might make more like be resonant for you, Tyler, as a teacher, but I think mm-hmm. that there needs to be a focus on teaching emotional understanding to the, children. The facts don't care about your feelings, I thought. <laughs> they, you know, they don't, and the facts will crush your feelings any chance <laughs> they get, especially in our society. But sure. I, I find that I don't think we would have the problems with conversations about uncomfortable things mm-hmm. or reasoning why like things make us feel certain ways. Because, you know, I, I'll, I'll express this about just like my, my journey through mental health issues, it's like going to therapy. Um, just the uh, the difference between feelings and emotions i'll mm-hmm. say yeah. i i just got a grasp of what that is this year and and that is like that emotions are a physiological thing that happens in our bodies that is brought on by our environment and mm-hmm. our feelings are how we perceive them <laughs> and it's the idea that you know emotions are real emotions affect you physically emotions affect you mentally and if they're not addressed in a healthy way, you will internalize it and it will damage you phys- with things like depression, with things like anxiety. Mm-hmm. These things are not usually in ether. These things are caused by traumas that you have not addressed. Just knowing this sort of thing helps you to understand how you can look within yourself and under- like why when I think about a certain thing, does it make me sad and angry? Mm-hmm. Why when I talk to a certain person, does it make me angry? Why mm-hmm. do I feel sad? Like asking yourself these questions mm-hmm. because I find that when, when we see things like white fragility coming up with all the Black Lives Matter stuff going on right now, I, I find that like it's so curious, just to have a curious mind about why would this person be so defensive, so defensive, when they are not a part of this, why would they be so defensive enough to leave a comment on the internet in a random post that they had nothing to do with, uh, talking about rioters this, uh, this <laughs> and that, like about things that they're not seeing, and and it, and perpetuating and not true narrative mm-hmm. why, why do these people get defensive why why whenever uh like Clint was talking about earlier in our discussion off the podcast like bringing up black restaurants we kind of stuff and saying like okay let's support these why black is there such a version to this idea of like black yeah, restaurant like week? what yeah. about white restaurant week it's like every right. other week is white restaurant week because that's kind of how it goes it's like you know same thing with black history month like why, where's the white history month okay <laughs> Uh, it, it's like, why is there this defensiveness? Why do right. these people feel like they're being attacked for include bringing up people up? Yeah. It, it's this like, okay, like if someone else is gaining, they must think that they are losing yeah. something. Like and there's something you know, zero sum game. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think to myself, okay, they are having an emotional response that needs to be understood by them and others. And it's hard to connect with someone if you don't try to understand their emotional response because they mm-hmm. you need to drill into why they would have that if you want to connect with them on a common ground to like try to erase that feeling. Which is really just a story. What, yeah. is, what is your story? Yes. How do you interpret your story? And we can disagree or agree with points that are made, but I can't yeah. argue with, with how, your story. How, yeah, how a person perceived an event. Yes. We can, and we can work on that. And I love That's how okay. you said your story because... And, and like, look, people talk about things like how process that, like process mm-hmm. this grief, this emotion, this this thing that happened mm-hmm. to you. And I, I, I'm an analytical person. I'm an like ADHD type person who needs things very literal. Uh, and it's it, it's always been um, 
what does it mean to process something? And I heard it described me as putting together the, your narrative in your own head so you can understand and reason about it and, and understand that happens. So it's like if it's childhood trauma, saying like, okay, I remember this, this recurring thought, it happened, it made me feel this way, it, and here I am now, that, that sort of thing. So like, yes, understanding your story. And a lot of times when you see people with these beliefs, maybe they had a part in their story, they were either taught certain things or there were certain hurts that went back that, uh, that allowed these negative generalizations to, to continue about entire groups of people or they were just always given some other narrative that's untrue by an authority figure that they perpetuated. But it, it's all interesting to kind of like look in that emotional lens to try to understand all these things. Because I, I firmly believe that people don't believe or do anything for no reason. Mm. Everyone is on a path because circumstance or genetics put them there. Mm -hmm. So, and I think what's, you know, what's really hard for all of us to understand talking about that all of us can't come from the same community uh, is how, especially on social media, there are whole pages devoted to this community that we grew up in and how people will just bypass every sort of filter every sort of common sense that there's that they claim to have and say things to people they don't know they've never met and and sort of uh not even attempt like you said to get yeah. another person's side they just perpetuate mm -hmm. this this false information this hurtful information this downright um um, hateful uh, mm -hmm. speech um, and so that's what's the hardest thing for me to understand especially people like that 99% uh, of the people in those in that community in our community that we grew up in would probably profess to be Christians yeah mm -hmm. and it's it's uh, it's troubling to me to see yeah. that there some of them are just so comfortable um, and then when you call them to the carpet on it they double down. It's not right. a, they don't they don't say, Oh, you know what, you might be right. No, it's it's there's this belief that everybody's on the same playing field mm -hmm. and that's not the case. Yeah. You, you when you live in central and, you know, suburban Baton Rouge, mm -hmm. you believe that everyone has the same opportunity. Yeah. And yet we're brought up on the mythos that of, you know, immigrant you know, America. Right. That, you know, people just brought themselves up from nothing. And it's, you know, in a lot of ways that's the case, but at the same time, you know, a lot of people, there's been a lot of need to assist people to, you know, mm -hmm. enter that, you know, American myth of, you know, being able to sustain yourself. There's this assumption that everybody's playing on the same playing Which, field and mm -hmm. that in any assistance to anyone else is therefore a, you know, an after further review sort of like assistance, yeah. some sort of cheat. It, yeah. which they know is which this idea that everyone is playing on the same playing field, same level playing field they know it's not true because their central is a uh, what wasn't even what it is uh, a generation yes ago, right mm -hmm. there's a these people these people most of the time we could probably maybe our parents went to Central High but their parents went to Glen Oaks and Bel Air and yeah. and these other Broadmoor and these sure. other periphery schools and Central was founded on the fact that in response in response to African American people moving into those those yeah. neighborhoods white flight and the white flight just the St. George yeah. you know ten years yeah and prior, so and know. so uh, this idea that that 
it, I think if if this the 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 premise that all people were are, are from the same level playing field, we, we would see a lot more uh, diversity in our neighborhoods and things yeah. like that. The fact that you probably don't live next to a person who looks different than you yeah. is, is evidence for me of the fact that not everyone does yeah. play on the same play, level, level playing field. And it, it, it's yeah. kind of like thinking about that, it's just like how like, the common stereotypical defense for like not being racist is like having a black friend as if, <laughs> yeah. and the funniest thing about that is it's number one, it's like, okay, like you know one black person, but it's like number right. two, why would you think it's, it's worth bringing up yeah. to have a black friend, my, and that is an excuse. My favorite thing is is like by default we all have white friends, right? right. You know, like right. my favorite thing is whenever you know you're on on social media and you make a point uh, that goes maybe towards the the left or the social justice aspect of it, and somebody throws out that Morgan Freeman uh, clip from Don Lemon's show where Morgan <laughs> Freeman says you know that race doesn't play a part, right? And it's like, oh, congratulations, you found the one black guy. Well, that's that says that feels that. That's way. infuriating as well because it's yeah. it's a whole nother problem of like, okay, I'm gonna find this this black authority right. to speak for me, right. and it's like, yeah. okay, you think the, all the black community is just this monolithic yeah, this, in agreement? Because Morgan Freeman said it, does yeah. that mean the other 99 percent of black people are right, lying? Uh, the right decries mm. the black monolith that votes Democratic, but then employs the the the, the one white or the one black voice they can find mm-hmm. that that stays know, in the, line that, that toes it, you know, yeah. uh, you know, that votes, you know. Reagan right, you know, that's... And, and we say the totally one voice. There there are many multiple, voices yeah, that speak to this, but of course, like, when we look at the... Like, it almost seems like sometimes we're looking for the perspective that confirms what we already mm-hmm. think, yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than actually, like, going to places and being among people who can tell us stories that might not be what we agree with. Absolutely. Also, uh, Dunning-Kruger comes in with that as well, because it's like, okay, people want to learn... They, they, people think they're very politically involved because they mm-hmm. might look up the bullet points from a Glenn Beck or a you know sure for, or you know who, whoever they want to be whatever side they're on let's say like MSNBC whoever is going to put up their cable news bulletin about whatever they're trying to promote mm-hmm. uh, people think they're an expert because they get one person's very yeah, yeah. succinct right. idea of something but if they don't go beyond that they'll never it's like uh, a lot people who know a little bit about something think they know a lot. Mm-hmm. And then people who know a little bit more think, all realize they don't yeah. know anything, and yeah, then like right, then right. you finally get to expertise. It's that kind of curve. People once they get a little bit of nugget of information, they think they're an expert and they want to yeah. spout off on everything. Mm-hmm. And then you got a lot of people uh, throwing around the same nomenclature and the same exact phrasing for all the like, oh this and that on, on Facebook. If it's a if it's a problem about like the rioter and looter stuff going on, it's always the same talking points. It's always the same argumentative yeah. points, but never data. Never like mentioning the fact that it's more more peaceful protests than rioting, and that the rioting mm-hmm. mostly petered out after like a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Or bringing up with uh, all the mask protesting going on, whether it's uh, attributing big spikes in coronavirus to uh, the protesting going on for Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. uh, even though most of of the folks protesting during that and what's being pushed by the authorities in those movements is to wear masks and, and be as distant as possible. I would say the protests that I have been to, and I'm not a big protest guy, but those that I have attended have been like very strict in terms of, yes. in terms of it, like masking and distancing. Exactly. And like that. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you had a month or two prior to that, these mm-hmm. people going up to, uh, these armed folks going up to uh, officials 
uh, protesting the Shouting fact, in cops' faces yeah, about, like, about, I don't want to wear a mask. Yes, exactly. You know, just, like, and, big guns. And, like, and they're trying to equivocate these things, even yeah. though... And, well, that's, it goes to the idea of nuance, too, is, like, we, we want to see things as very black and white, but we don't want to investigate the nuance of, like, I wonder why the black community at large mm-hmm. is upset. And you could look at data on police violence and crime and all these different things. And in some cases, some of that data does support the right-leaning viewpoint around around crime and such things. But when you really look at the nuance of like American history and American Christianity yeah. as a part of American history right. and how American Christianity has so often been on the wrong side of yeah. racial reconciliation and racial justice, among many other things right. uh, in, in our society, is we have to be willing to have a more nuanced discussion. So people say like, oh, well, what if we just gave reparations and then it was then it was done, then it was fixed. Mm-hmm. I, I, honestly, that's just another Band-Aid if we don't also change the hearts. Yeah, right. uh, yeah, so it's, yeah. But which Absolutely. kind of brings me to the idea of, Clint, something you said before of, okay. of this idea of the Great Commission. Um, and you said the the Great Commission is better fulfilled by community than, than the soapbox. Yeah. So I would like to read the Great Commission and then have you yeah, speak absolutely. on that to close us out. Yeah. Um, so Matthew twenty eight sixteen through 20. I've chosen the Common English Bible, which I hope is not heretical in any way, uh, but maybe it is. <laughs> uh, so now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When, he saw, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them. I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. Yeah. What did you mean by what you said? Um, what I mean is is we we proclaim not only a message but a person when we when we proclaim the gospel. And so it's it's not enough to shout a message at, at someone and then demand a response. Mm-hmm. That's what people on a soapbox do. Um, there's no there's no dialogue there. But you, Jesus uses the term disciples. Go and make disciples. Um, that means followers, people who, I'm, who you do life on a consistent basis with, right? It's not just mm-hmm. one and done. It's not just a, 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 a say a prayer, walk an aisle, get baptized, and mm-hmm. then I'll never talk will to you, you again. Will you vote for me? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It wasn't a stump speech, you know? It was, it, it was a call to a, a live a life that honors him and, mm-hmm. and who he was and who he claimed to be. And so when I said it, it's better fulfilled in relationships, what I mean is it doesn't, it doesn't do me any good if I shout even the gospel message at you and demand a response and then walk away mm-hmm. from you no, don't, and don't care anymore about what happens to you. That's not a disciple. That's a convert. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a proselyte. And so what my most fulfilling relationships in life are people I've been patient with. Um, and and that have been patient with me, <laughs> and and hear the message that I have, and walk with me in daily life, and and, and uh, as I point them towards Him, towards Jesus, mm-hmm. and as we both strive, uh, both people involved strive to live a life that honors Him, and it's so much more fulfilling when you do life that way, yep. rather than rather than shouting at people. And so I think that that like people may listen to this podcast and think, man, those guys have been really critical about the community that they grew up in, mm-hmm. and we have. That's a fair, that's yeah. a fair criticism or, or, or uh, observation. And but that's I think a part of our identity. Yeah, I think as well, all of us would desire mm-hmm. for the people in our community 
that we grew up in to listen to this podcast and join with us mm-hmm. in in making that community and the other communities that we're a part of a better place. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't want Central to be um, or or Dallas or wherever downtown Baton Rouge where we live. Um, we don't want those places to um, to be self-seeking. We want them to to seek the the benefit of other people and make it to where people want to actually live there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and unfortunately, the trajectory that the community that we grew up in is taking is, is one where um, we would all I think agree. Like I don't know why anyone would would want to live there or, yeah. or at least raise a family yeah. or whatever you know. In its current state, and that's not to say that there aren't wonderful people that live there. We all know wonderful people, and we know people who who um, say and believe things that we can't believe because we know them, and we're like, they don't act like this. They just say those things on social media, you know. And so, we this is sort of what I want this message to be for them is sort of a call to action, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, come alongside um, all people, regardless of beliefs and and make the community that you live in a better place because ultimately that's what's going to uh, to change society is working together and not not working against one another in harper lee's go set a watchman scout finch is grown up and faced with the difficult truth of who her friends and family have become or perhaps who they've always been. At a point, she laments, why doesn't their flesh creep? How can they so devoutly believe everything they hear in church and then say the things they do and listen to the things they hear without throwing up? I thought I was a Christian, but I'm not. I'm something else and I don't know what. Everything I've ever taken for right and wrong, these people taught me, these same, these very people. So it's me, it's not them. Something has happened to me. As I read this passage in early 2017, it felt eerily familiar to what I've noticed in the past few years. The immigrants are taking our jobs, so we build a wall to keep them out. The Muslims are threatening our way of life, and if we aren't careful, they'll impose their values on us, so we must register them and track their moves. The poor should work harder, or else they'll just be looking for handouts from those of us who do. Make America great again, but for who? I first read Harper Lee's words the month of Trump's inauguration and found myself considering how some see him as the God-fearing pro-life Christian choice who will save us from the liberal hellscape that awaits. He'll protect us, but who does us include, and who are the them we need protection from? Believe me, I haven't lost my Christian faith, but it sure as hell has been shaken. All I know is that it is my Christ-given call to love and accept all of God's children. Spending time with Cody, Clint, and Samuel frequently humbles me and reminds me of that. But yet, I can't stop feeling a little bit lost like Scout Finch. Thank you all for listening. For more, visit leftandwhite.com and follow at leftwhitepodcast on Instagram. Thanks to Chris Garrett, Claire Shakespeare, and Daniela Chavez for marketing and promotional support. This week's theme song is Sunday by Track Tribe. As always... I'm here if you need me. Until next time, be good.